Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to the Washington Weekly Podcast on the UBS In The Now podcast channel. Our conversation today will bring you up to speed on a range of developments within the Beltway and beyond. Joining me for the conversation, glad to welcome back Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. So, Shane, welcome back. Thank you for joining us and looking forward to our conversation. Thanks, Dan. Good to be with you as always. Absolutely. So, uh, Shane, I know there's a lot of ground that we want to cover this week. We've been hearing rumblings. Maybe we can start with a few domestic topics, but we've been hearing rumblings of deep divisions amongst congressional Democrats, uh, this over President Biden's economic plan and the seemingly growing price tag that's attached to it. What have been the points of concern voiced recently amongst lawmakers, Shane? And what does the path forward for passage look like today? Yeah, great question, Dan. You know, I think the first thing to recognize is that while there are divisions on this, we should interpret it uh, as uh, to mean that this bill won't happen. We should um, recognize that it is more likely than not that that this reconciliation will, bill will pass, um, and it will include meaningful tax hikes to many of our listeners. So what are the divisions? It's the size and scope. You, um you have um, progressive Democrats who say we passed a, a resolution calling for three and a half trillion dollars of spending. Um, and, you know, the more moderate members see that number as kind of the ceiling um, versus progressives who actually last yesterday were trying to argue, no, that's the floor. Um, I think, you know, realistically, it's the ceiling unless you are trying to say that well, this spending bill paired with that bipartisan bill, um, that is more than three and a half trillion dollars in spending. Um, because the, the resolution that sets up the reconciliation process actually, you know, says that three and a half trillion is the ceiling. Um, so you have pushback from the likes of Joe Manchin, who is thinking more of the lines of one and a half, uh, dollars in, uh, one and a half trillion dollars in spending. And, you know, there are other monarchs who are kind of with him, but they're being silent. Um, they're, they're trying to work the process behind the scenes. So this is going to be interesting how it plays out. You know, all along we've kind of envisioned something along the lines of $2 trillion uh, for the final package here. But uh, what you see now is essentially Democrat leadership and progressives daring moderate. Uh, daring them to say, you know, no, we're going to do a three and a half trillion dollar bill. And I dare you to vote against it um, because they think that uh, those moderates at the end of the day will shy, shy away from being the obstacle here and, and vote for the bill. And overall, I do agree with that premise that, you know, we shouldn't view Joe Manchin as someone who's going to vote no on the final bill. I think he'll vote yes, but I think he'll be, his impact will be um, to bring down the final spending number and change some of the provisions in it. So, um, for where are we now? You know, the uh, House has begun its work. Um, there have been a few committees uh, starting their uh, markups of legislation, most notably the Ways and Means Committee. Now, the Ways and Means Committee is, is starting on kind of their spending priorities, and they'll finish up their work Tuesday or Wednesday of next week um, with uh, the tax piece of this bill. So uh, we've seen many components of this bill uh, from the House side released, but, um, you know, what it may be most relevant to our listeners in the tax 
piece has not been released yet. I would expect that as early as tomorrow, but uh, we may not see it until Monday. So anytime in between that. And then, um, you know, it's off to the races uh, because uh, the House and Senate are trying to move expeditiously uh, to get this uh, across the finish line. Okay, so more to follow up on next week. I do have a follow-up question, Shane. This relates, adding to what is already a busy agenda for Congress, there is this looming government shutdown deadline of October 1st. Uh, That will be here before we know it. Uh, What needs to happen in order for a shutdown to be avoided? Yeah, so government, um, all federal government departments and agencies are funded through 12 separate appropriations bills. Um, Now, these appropriations bills Uh, have been languishing and not moving forward, really. So what we envision is uh, what we've seen the past few years happen is where Congress passes a continuing resolution for a short period of time while they try and um, get those bills uh, working. Now, you know, there's a lot going on here because there are other deadlines at the end of September, like the National Flood Insurance Program, which is uh, obviously important to begin with, but it's taken some extra meaning, you know, with the damage that Hurricane Ida has caused, you know, up and down the eastern seaboard and uh, some parts of middle America, actually. Um, so, you know, that's just one example. I think the other thing confusing the issue a little bit is the debt ceiling. Um, you know, right now, the Department of Treasury is operating where they're um, continuing to meet the country's debt obligations with what's known as extraordinary measures. And once they run out of these extraordinary measures, the U.S. could default on debt. Now, President, uh, excuse me, Treasury Secretary Yellen this week warned that that X date will be in mid-October. So, you know, these are this is a separate issue from a government shutdown, but they may end up being uh, combined and, and some people will confuse them. So it's important to keep them um, kind of separate in our minds because they both have different impacts. You know, um, the government shutdown, you know, uh, will be noticed by the markets, but is, uh, has happened before and is not a huge market moving event. If the federal government were to default on its debt, which we have never done before, that would be a major market event. Um, and you know, we think there'll be, some very uh, tense negotiations and, you know, the uh, federal debt limit will be increased. So the U.S. will not default on its debt, but it's it's going to be fluid and a high wire act at certain moments. These negotiations are clearly important to keep in the back of our minds and we'll track this as it further develops. But thank you for the color there, Shane. I, I do want to pivot a bit. We, we've been tracking this gubernatorial recall election in California, which I believe is, is set to take place next week, September 14th. Can you provide us, Shane, with some background on a Governor Gavin Newsom's challenger? And what are the polls pointing to in California today? Yeah, so um, you're correct. Uh, this special election is on Tuesday, September 14th. Um, and this isn't the first recall election that California has had. Over its history, it's had, uh, I think, well over 100. You know, the most notable in recent history would be the recall of uh, former Governor Gray Davis, and that led to Governor Alden Schwarzenegger of California. So uh, I think what's important to know here is on Tuesday, there'll be this vote, and it's two parts. The first one is, do you want to recall Governor Newsom? If that crosses the 50% threshold, 
Then the second vote that people will take is um, uh, who they want to be governor. And the leader there is a Republican named Larry Elder because he's the leader partially because there are almost four dozen people uh, on the ballot for that second question. So someone can win with, you know, um, a minority vote. Um, now, Governor Newsom has been going up and down and up and down in the polls right now. What's, what you really have to keep in mind is that in a special election like this, it's really about who turns out. And the passion, um, the intensity is on the opposition side. So this is a very serious threat to, to Governor Newsom. Now, Governor Newsom understands this, and, you know, he recently had uh, Vice President Harris out to campaign for him, I believe. Former President Obama is going to campaign for him. So, you know, he's doing what he needs to do to try and energize his his voters to turn out and support him. Um, and, you know, it, it may be enough at the end of the day. It, it's starting to uh, look like that. But, you know, um, I, that, there's no guarantee because the opposition to Governor Newsom is so energized right now that they're going to work and work so hard to get turnout their voters that he could be overturned. Quite fascinating uh, situation out in California. Will be interesting to see how this plays out. Of course, clearly some precedent, as you pointed out back in the 2000s, but uh, we'll be sure to follow up on this story next week. Uh, maybe to wrap up our conversation for this week, Shane, we can turn back to geopolitics. Of course, our listeners, our clients know we've been uh, closely covering the situation in Afghanistan for, at this point, probably a bit over a month. But this week, Secretary of State Antony Blink as well as Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin. They did travel to Qatar. While there were reports of Taliban blocking evacuee flights out of Afghanistan, so still a lot going on here. Maybe, Shane, can you speak to the purpose of that a visit to Qatar? And what is the latest from on the ground in Afghanistan that you can share with us? Yeah, so uh, Secretary of State Blinken, you know, he actually traveled to Germany and Qatar and um, Secretary of Defense Blinken, he, he was in Kuwait and Qatar. So they kind of met in Qatar. Um, you know, Secretary Blinken was trying to thank um, Germany and Qatar for their efforts um, to help us evacuate um, U.S. Uh, personnel, U.S. citizens and Afghan allies. You know, I think... Uh, in the past few weeks, over 100,000 uh, people were evacuated from Afghanistan. So it was appropriate for him to thank our allies in this endeavor. And um, But to the larger point, you know, Qatar is kind of setting up to be where um, we run our diplomatic relations with Afghanistan out of. Uh, Qatar, um, you know, has those relationships. Uh, so this Qatar will continue to be an important um, piece of the puzzle as um, Secretary Blinken looks to establish these diplomatic ties. And, you know, what we've seen in the past few days, as you're mentioning, is, you know, flights being blocked to help um, people get out of Afghanistan, you know, and diplomatic relations seem to be working on this uh, level at the moment where um, Afghanistan seems to be now letting out, you know, a flight of 200 people, um, you know, again, though, in that scheme of things, you know, 200 lives are extremely important, but there are still thousands upon thousands who are going to be looking to uh, escape Afghanistan. So 
Um, a lot more work needs to be done here, you know, and as you see the Taliban set up their government in the coming days, you know, um, and really um, start to lock lock down on their hold of the country, you know, it, it's going to be even more important that Secretary Blinken um, have these relationships um, set up through Qatar. Will be interesting to see how the diplomatic relationships uh, pan out and a lot more to track here. So this story is not going anywhere. So more to come. Uh, Shane, thank you very much as always for dropping by. Uh, a few topics here I'm sure we'll follow up on within the next couple of weeks. But thank you for covering all of the ground that you did with us today. Enjoy the kickoff of the football season tonight. I know our respective baseball teams are struggling, so it will be nice to uh, have a change in scenery, so to say. I agree. I still hold out over the Mets, uh, even though they're, I think I have about a 7% chance of making the playoffs, but <laughs> I have a feeling I'll be switching to football uh, pretty soon. Uh, better odds than the Yankees, I would say, but we'll, we'll see how it plays out. Thanks again, Shane. Appreciate it, as always. And again, today we've been joined by Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. As a reminder to our listeners and their clients, please be sure to reference the latest Washington Weekly publication, which can now be located on UBS.com forward slash Washington Weekly. Uh, the Washington Weekly podcast is part of the UBS In The Now podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that clients understand the ways in which we conduct business, that they carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to them about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review the PDF document at UBS.com forward slash relationship summary. UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG, member FINRA SIPC.